For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating this month or today? Uh, I say this month because today's the last day of February. And just as we're getting out of February, we have a snowstorm last night here in New York. Uh, so it's very snowy out today. I hope wherever you are, you are nice and warm and ready for an exciting show this afternoon. I am continuing my celebration of the Garden State Film Festival. And today I have three incredible filmmakers who will be, two of them are involved with a film celebrating the life of an incredible actor that I'm sure a lot of you do not know a lot about. And we also have someone who has, in his short film, is dealing with the gun violence epidemic in this country. Those of you who know me know what my thoughts are on this, and uh, I am so glad that we have Kevin and Thomas and Ron joining us this afternoon. Uh, we're going to start with a celebration of Boris Karloff. I'm a huge Boris Karloff fan, and I learned a lot more about him last night because I had the good pleasure of seeing this film. It is incredible. Uh, it's available on most streaming uh, platforms. I hope that you'll go and you'll check it out. Uh, but before I bring them on, uh, let's take a look at their trailer. Here it is. He was the consummate character actor, a character actor who became a star. That face was just so magical. There is not a single movie I've ever done that is not under the shadow that this man casts. This storm will be magnificent. He kind of backs into the scene and turns around slowly and the lights, and there's that face. You can't imagine a better entrance. You can show that image to almost anyone in the world. What's this? Frankenstein. In The Bride of Frankenstein, they virtually crucify the monster. I saw my messiah. The gods will receive into the underworld the spirit of Ankh and Amun. He had just an extraordinary career. I mean, everybody raves about him. People think of him as either British or Russian, but he was actually of Indian descent. There were various things he didn't want to talk about. What was he running away from? when he left home. What was he frightened of? He becomes kind of a lovable uncle. He was Uncle Boris. He was a very, very interesting, complex man, but he's always an outsider, always feels he doesn't quite belong. You'll never get rid of me, Toddy. I think there's an enigma. There's a real mystery at the heart of Boris Karloff, and no one's quite cracked it yet. Certain actors bring the camera to them, and Karloff had that power. What an amazing film. Thomas and Ron, congratulations. Uh, I know that you're going to be at the Garden State Film Festival uh, next month. Uh, but I always begin my shows by asking, who or what are you celebrating today? Uh, and you can decide who will go first. <laughs> 
Go on, Ron. You've got the poster up. <laughs> I, I just uh, celebrated my birthday a couple of days ago. Oh. Uh, February is also the anniversary month of uh, when Mr. Boris Karloff died. He died February 2nd, 1969. That's right. And, um, you know, it's great that we're doing the Garden State Film Festival. It's just a wonderful event. And believe it or not, there's also a connection between film Frankenstein and New Jersey. And that's the fact that Thomas Edison made the first film Frankenstein. And it was developed in his laboratories in West Orange, New Jersey. And you can actually see along the side of the film, West Orange, New Jersey. So it's a great time. And there's another connection there. Uh, Thomas Edison and I share a birthday, February oh. 11th. Um, okay. So uh, there's that whole synergy going on right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, right. well, yes. And happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, happy birthday, Ron. <laughs> uh, and Thomas, thank you. We're doing this show at two o'clock today because Thomas is in London. Uh, are, is it London proper that you're in? Yes, yes. Northwest London. Wow. And it's 7 p.m. here for me. Um, it's not quite as dark as it looks <laughs> behind me, but uh, I, I prefer to disguise the background. <laughs> well, it's great that we have this dark background because, yeah. I mean, uh, Boris Karloff, uh, first of all, I watched the film last night, as I said, and it is an amazing, I mean, all the interviews that you were lucky to get, uh, and God bless you, uh, some of them have passed on. Uh, mm. Since you originally did these interviews, uh, trust me, I know how that works. Mm. Um, how long have you both been working on this project? Well, Ron started it a very long time ago, um, before I became involved. Um, Ron, do you want to give the, the background for Richard? Yes, I, I started in 1997, but Richard, you do bring up a good point. I think the success of any film is to not only have a great story to tell, but to have wonderful people to tell the story. And that's who we found. I mean, Roger Corman and John Landis, Guillermo del Toro, Joe Dante, just wonderful, wonderful people. And though these people are so respected in the film industry, it does make a difference that they're talking about Boris Karloff and, and his career. I mean, the man was truly amazing. He, he did so much more than just horror films. And that's what we captured on, on this film. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I thought Thomas did a wonderful job in, in putting it all together. Well, I want to ask you both, uh, who got Christopher Plummer? I mean, he that was not an easy get, I know. My wife. <laughs> Tracy, yeah, no, my uh, our co-producer, Tracy Jenkins, she, um, she, she, she worked out the timing because we were trying to get Christopher for a while. Ron had tried, I had tried, and, and it was just like, it wasn't really happening. Um, there was a sort of willingness, but but just an impossible setting it up. And um, Tracy, uh, who's from Canada originally, from Toronto, she uh, saw that Christopher Plummer was going to be doing a celebration of his career, a 70th anniversary celebration in Canada, right after we finished the LA shoot uh, that Ron and I, and three of us were doing. And uh, and we worked it out with his agent. We said, look, he's going to be there on the 18th of November. If we're there on the 18th of November in his hotel, in a room, can we do the interview? And he got back to us and he said, yeah, Chris can give you half an hour. And and so we we had him and it was such a thrill. Um, and, and, and he was lovely. He, he actually had prepared stuff as well. He, he had this beautiful bit that he'd written about Boris, which we don't use very much of in the film, but but on the DVD Blu-ray, 
which I, I do have to give a little plug to, um, there's a bonus feature called um, Boris Karloff. Great. Boris Karloff, the rest of the story, which is another two hours of wow. material we couldn't use in the film. And um, so you get to see a lot more background, some stories that, you know, would have been a little bit of a detour in, in the film proper, but, you know, they're just as, just as interesting and fascinating. But yeah. Richard, so, we also had the chance to get Lee Grant, who was just wonderful. Oh, yes. Yes, who was just terrific. We also got a chance to get Franz Waxman's son. Franz <laughs> Waxman did the musical score for Bride of Frankenstein. And just an accomplished uh, musician. And he was wonderful to talk to. So we were lucky. I mean, we got some people that just not everybody got a chance to talk to. So, yeah, Christopher Plummer was one of our prime picks. And, and he adds just so much to the story. So I've got a two-part question for both of you, and I'll start with you, Ron. Um, sure. Obviously, you have this passion for Boris Karloff that uh, kept you going with this project for so long. Um, what was it about Boris Karloff that you were so fascinated with that you wanted to tell his story? Well, I think every actor should see this film because it's a film of, of an actor who just didn't give up, who loved his profession. And Can I interrupt you for just a moment? Sure. Uh, what I, as an actor myself, I love the fact that when he first, well, uh, George Santos, uh, you know, <laughs> they had lesson, but he fabricated his resume. Um, he actually listed the shows that he had seen um, that he had not appeared in, uh, but that technique was so ingrained in him that he was able to deliver when that opportunity came his way. So, and then I'll let you go from there. No, you're absolutely right. And then what he did, he spent the next 10 years in Canada learning the craft of acting. And he did every, I mean, he built sets, he took tickets, but he acted on stage. And that's where he got better and better and better. Eventually he went down to San Francisco, from San Francisco down to LA, went to the film uh, industry, which at that time were the silent films. And he absorbed. I, I think he learned from every actor he worked with, every director, and he just had a wonderful, marvelous career. And tell me, the question for you is, what convinced you to say yes to this project? Oh, um, it was it was a very easy decision. I mean, I was already a fan of of Karloff, and uh, I mean, I love horror films, classic horror films, anyway. And um, Ron approached me, he basically had seen a film I'd made about Leslie Howard, which is a whole other story, <laughs> Gone with the Wind and all that. Um, and Ron had seen it on Turner Classic Movies and he contacted me a day or two later uh, and asked me if I'd be interested. And the answer was yes, absolutely. Because immediately that he suggested it, I thought this is an incredible story because apart from anything else, um, it covers the entire history of the horror film from, you know, from the silent era when it was barely there through to the end of the 60s when it was one of the biggest genres going and uh, and even beyond because of the influence Boris has had. So that was a, a thrill for me. And, and also the other thing that really was important to me was I thought this is the last chance to get these people that actually worked with Boris Mm -hmm. that knew him. Um, I mean, obviously his daughter, Sarah, um, is, was an important part of it. But, you know, people like Roger Corman, Dick Miller, who, who actually we filmed the last interview with, I believe, um, Orson Bean, other people that just had these marvelous stories 
about the man himself. And, uh, and that was the thing that I thought, you know, we might not be able to tell a lot that is new for, for audiences that are really steeped in Boris Karloff, but you'll get it from a new perspective hopefully from the person that was actually there in the room when it happened, because I think Absolutely. that gives a, a much more immediate sense to these things. So that was one of the, all, all of that possibility grabbed me. Ron, what was the biggest thing that surprised you about Boris Karloff from working on this film that you did not know prior to beginning work on this film? Well, the thing that surprised me is that even when he was working, he cared so much about the Screen Actors Guild. He was one of the founding members. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. his card is number nine. And even when he was working on a film, he would then go talk to other actors, pull them to the side and say, hey, listen, we're forming this union. Do you want to join? I mean, he felt so passionate about it. He really did. And he was taking a chance. I mean, he he basically, within five years of his career, he had become a star and, and he was taking a chance trying to get these other people to join him. But he did because he believed in it. And other people like James Cagney. You know, they were involved, too, with the founding of the Screen Actors Guild. So I think it was his passion for the Screen Actors Guild and the fact that he did much more than just be a member. Uh, we have a wonderful per, a person, uh, Valerie Yal Yaros, from the Screen Actors Guild. Mm -hmm. and she talks about how, how much he did for, for that union. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people may not realize, I mean, the hours that these actors were putting in. And yeah. they could keep them going long after... Uh, exhaustion. Uh, in one of the films, uh, and uh, forgive me, I mean, uh, there's so much going through my head, uh, but the director who actually checked with the actress's menstrual cycle. And, oh, yes. That's, and instead yes. of giving her the time off, worked the film so that she was working during her menstrual yes. cycle. There's a word for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to use it. Yeah, but, um... Yes. <laughs> but that's um yeah that was the the mummy and um, that was Car carl grun who was um yeah a very autocratic type of director uh yeah uh and in fact she was so miserable um that afterwards she quit the business she you know carl lemley offered her a contract as the film was wrapping up and and she said i, I wouldn't work with universal you know for my life, let alone for the money you're offering me. And and it was he was very shocked. But you know, he had no idea that she'd been given such a bad, you know, bad, bad treatment by the director. But yeah, that was quite a story. When it came to light, I thought we have to put that in there because I think it's important to to really get the context of what's going on in Hollywood and the world and how people treated one another. Because um, it's very easy just to glide through these stories and say, oh, here's a lovely film that you remember, or that's Frankenstein, and everyone's happy because it was such a big hit. No, actually, it was it was tough. You know? Well, I want to bring on our next guest. Uh, before okay. I do, I'm going to show uh, the trailer for his film, Thoughts. And it's another type of a horror film. Mm. Uh, because, but this is based on the reality of the gun violence epidemic. Uh, that has taken over this country. Uh, so I'm going to do uh, show the trailer, and then I will bring uh, Kevin on on the other side of this. Here it is. Okay. We all remember a thousand days that started out just like this one. You're arriving at school. The sun is out. Your friends are all there. The possibilities are endless. You might even learn something. But today, something goes terribly wrong. Is that Adam? 
What happens when we miss all the signs? Kevin, thank wow. you so much. Thank you, uh, first of all, for making this film. Thanks for um, having me. And uh, it's a very short film. I yeah, mean, only 11 minutes. Only 11 minutes. And, but what you put into those 11 minutes is breathtaking. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously a powerful issue and uh, it's something we're hearing about way too often, but people don't often think about what it's like to be inside of one of those events. And that's what I'm hoping to convey here. What was, I mean, it's a very important subject right now, but what was the spark for you for yourself that wanted you to make this film? Well, I've been toying with a couple of ideas and I wanted to do something with two actors doing a very serious sort of back and forth, like a confession. And uh, then the Uvalde, Texas shooting happened. And that's what spurred me to go in this direction. And I started shooting this within three weeks of that event. And as you were working on this film, were there, what surprised you the most about your own research when it comes to this very powerful subject right now? Um, I don't know if there were any big surprises. If you go in and start looking at some of the uh, statistics, they're incredibly frightening. You know, I'm learning that it's now over 100 people being killed by guns in this country every single day. Every single day. And it's insane. And uh, it just seems one of those things that I can't believe that there's arguments about it. You know, we're the only country in the world that's failing on this level as far as gun violence goes. And I would hope that this makes some tiny little chip in that armor of, of uh, insanity that keeps this going. Was there a specific goal for you i know that you wrote this you directed it you edited this film as you were putting this together um was your intent always that it was going to be the length that it is yeah it was always going to be a short film um i don't think i i don't imagine it ever being expanded to a feature it's a it's just a quick story it's it's a very simple story and uh yeah that was how i intended it from the beginning now, I know that it's going to be shown on the 25th at the Garden State Film Festival. Um, what was the road that got you here? And has this been shown in other film festivals as well? No, this will be our world premiere. Uh, hasn't been shown anywhere else. So I'm excited about that and showing it to the, the hometown crowd here in New Jersey. And it was all made in New Jersey. And uh, I have entered in a couple of other festivals we haven't heard from yet. I'm hoping to get into uh, Tribeca and some other other nice festivals in the, in the area. But uh, after we do the festival circuit, I'll just put it up on YouTube and you know hope that it makes a little splash and gets people thinking about this topic. So I know that you're having this world premiere, but have other people been able to see the film? And if so, what kind of response are you getting to it? Well, I had a private screening for uh, the cast and crew, and we had a, a couple of other uh, guests there. And people were, uh, they, they, they enjoy it. They're entertained by it. They're kind of horrified by it. It is very powerful and, and, and shocking and uh, in some ways difficult to watch because it's, it's visceral. There's no blood or guts or anything, but it's, it comes across that something terrible is happening.
Richard, may I ask a question? Uh, yes, and uh, and I've got a question for you, Ron. So you go ahead first. <laughs> Kevin, are you familiar with the Garz Karloff film Targets, uh, directed by Peter Bogdanovich? No, I don't think I am. Richard was uh, mentioning that earlier, but uh, I would love to learn more about it. Yeah, it's a wonderful film. It was Karloff's last American film, and what he did was brilliant. He took two separate stories of a sniper who was killing people and of this aging film star uh, making a film appearance for his last time and they intersect with each other. Just so well done. Hmm. Uh, Ron, that leads me to my next question for you. Uh, that film was made in 1968, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And when uh, this film was done, was what was the origin for, the, for that film coming to be? Well, the backstory is amazing. I mean, uh, Bogdanovich had worked for Roger Corman, and he started out as a writer, and Corman knew he always wanted to be a director. So he actually sat down and said, listen, okay, here's the deal. You want to direct, uh, create 20 brand new minutes of Boris Karloff, use 20 minutes of an old Boris Karloff film, and then create something brand new. And he wasn't too sure what that third element was, but eventually uh, in, in, in his time, there was the recent shooting of a, co a college student in Texas who was up on a water tower and just started shooting people on the campus. Yes. So he used that to show, quote unquote, modern horror and then with this old horror star, how uh, they reflect with each other. Uh, Thomas, I'm going to ask you, if you can expand mm. on for a little uh, moment. Um, Roger Corman, and Kevin, this may be something to learn in future filmmaking, <laughs> but Boris Karloff had this ability to keep actors that were working on his films a little longer. So yes. that film footage that would be used in other films that he would splice together and then create films from that. Can you yes. on that for a moment? Well, um, famously, uh, when uh, when Boris Karloff made the film The Raven uh, with Roger Corman, um, now Roger Corman was, let's say, notorious for, for, for bringing his films in really tightly within schedule, sometimes days shorter than schedule. Um, and so they shot The Raven, and he had finished um, a weekend early. So they had three days where these sets were still going to be standing. Mm -hmm. And he, he thought, well, I don't want to waste this time. You know, I've still got these actors on hand. So he basically, he, he managed to run up a, a, an outline of, of a story, um, which would be called The Terror, in which Boris Karloff would star as the villain. And they had Jack Nicholson still on hand because he'd just finished The Raven. And so, so they put it to Jack Nicholson, uh, you're going to be the star of this one with Boris Karloff as your co-star, and Jack was oh, fine. And, uh, and, they, and they kept Boris for two extra days and, and basically had him walking around the sets, saying lines with what connection Boris didn't really have, have any idea, other than that he would keep saying, well, you can't, I can't tell you about this. It, it's, it's in the other room, <laughs> and things like that, very sinister. <laughs> and, uh, and at the end, they, they, they had a flood, um, which, which Boris participates in, and it's pretty amazing considering he's quite a frail man for this time. Um, and then he goes away, and a couple of years later, because this film took a long time to make any sense out of, a couple of years later the film goes out, and Boris is not the character he thought he was playing. <laughs> he watched the film and he went, I'm not the Baron, because they, Roger had changed a few lines so that Boris is basically playing this insane person who has killed the Baron 
and has been pretending to be him all these years. So um, it was a great example of just the way Roger Corman could improvise around materials that had been shot. And it's it's one of his most inventive and endearing traits is the way he can do that. He, <laughs> 25 years later with the terror, apparently Dick Miller was brought in to shoot a few more scenes to, to as a kind of opening and epilogue. And I asked Dick about that, but he, he didn't remember because it was like probably one hour, one afternoon, you know. Yeah. Um, Kevin, I've got to, I got to say, your film looks really good. Um, Thank you. Really, really... And it's an important thing to say as well, because I think, um, particularly in America, it's a subject that really needs to be explored. So, you know, seriously, yeah. do you think you would ever expand it into a feature? I don't see this as a feature. I have I have mm -hmm. actually multiple other features that I, I yeah. hope to make, and none of them are anything like this. I, I've been telling people this is the first film I've ever made with no jokes in it. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Well, Thomas, I have a question for you being in London and this yeah. is such an, um, um, I don't know if a phenomenon is the right word or not, but it's such an American phenomenon that this is happening here. Yeah. How is this covered or how is this reported in London? Oh, um, well, the, the the you know the major gunning gun event, you're talking about the gun events, the, the, the yes, shootings and things, yeah. Um, Oh yeah, I mean, we our, our media is pretty horrified um, by by these things when it happens. I mean, we we have violence here as well, you know, with you know um, guns, um, quite a lot. Um, although knife crime seems to be the bigger thing in mm -hmm. in England because it's harder to get hold of guns that are unlicensed. Um, but yeah, we we just we can't believe the way it still is possible to purchase weapons. Uh, in America, that is just you know too easy, and um, so we're baffled that anyone would still you know defend this this principle of you know people should be able to carry guns. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so so it's very hard when we're you know you watch the debates because I, I do keep track of what's going on in American politics and it's indefensible, and yet people keep defending it. Right. Um, so I'm glad you've made your film and. You know, the, it's it's something that really does need to be talked about um, more widely and and maybe protested about as well because you know that's the only way it seems to be that you can get any changes to be made. Yeah, Kevin, I want to ask you, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot with this question, but uh, gun violence in film is uh, you know if uh, I've said to anyone, and this is an experiment that I give to everyone who's watching. Uh, start at channel uh, two on your TV and just scroll through and you'll be amazed at how much gun violence you will see uh, in the afternoon, in the early mornings. Uh, kids are just uh, channel surfing themselves and they are inundated with these violent images. Um, I have my own thoughts on this, uh, but I'd like to get your take on this. Do you think there's a direct correlation between what is being produced in film and what's happening beyond film well i i think probably a, a small connection it's just the uh, i mean in the media entertainment world it's you know a gun equals drama so that's easy it's a cheap way to get people excited and it, it becomes something that's accepted that it's seen so much that people don't even think anything of it oh so okay that guy got shot he's dead okay move on and 
I don't think people realize in the real world that that's a tragedy when one person gets gets shot. Um, so it's it's a combination of uh, that is seen so many places and in in inner cities in many places that's the attitude that you know I'll shoot you just in case you don't you know so you don't, you don't hurt me I'll shoot you first and it's a it's a terrible attitude and uh, we need to address that in, in a hundred different ways. Hmm. Um, I have a question for you, and uh, and I'm going to frame this in a way that you'll be able to really fill in the blanks. Um, one of the most violent images uh, in uh, is in Frankenstein uh, with Bars Karloff and the young girl uh, with oh, yeah. the daisies. And if you can talk, because and I and I love the fact uh, that this is given so much attention in the film uh, because. Film buffs, I and I've always known about the scene. I've seen it. Um, I've seen the clip, and I've seen uh, obviously the film. Was it ever reinstored into the film? And if you can just build upon that, let everyone know what I'm talking about, and then go with that. Ron, yes, uh, it eventually was. I think in the uh, mid 1980s they restored the film. Uh, Karloff felt very strongly about this scene, and. Again, he wasn't in a big position to, to really voice his opinion, but he did. And I don't think Mr. Whale, the director, <laughs> appreciated that much because Whale had in his mind, you know, what he wanted to have in the film. So they had a scene where the monster's just roaming out. He's by himself. He comes upon this little girl who's flung flowers into a lake. Uh, the girl invites him in and says, sit down and play with me. And they do the flowers. He's out of flowers. He looks towards the girl. And then in most films, then it cuts. And then you don't see what happens. And then unfortunately, a couple of scenes later, you see the father carrying the dead girl through the village. And sometimes people thought that was even worse because it, it leads to the imagination of what did the monster do. But when they did restore the scene, again, Karloff is out of flowers. The thinking is he then picks up the girl and throws her in to have her float like a flower, but she doesn't. And of course, his reaction is just wonderful. All pantomime. I mean, the man mm -hmm. is not speaking at all and conveys such anguish and, and fear and, and just a terrible thing that he had done. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it, it just showed to me how wonderful an actor Karloff was. Uh, Thomas, do you feel that uh, Boris Karloff has not gotten his due in Hollywood? I, I never really thought about it until I watched your film last night. And I, and then I got this sense um, and the clips, God bless both of you. Uh, I mean, even a movie like uh, the mask of Fu Manchu, uh, which <laughs> blows away even to look at that footage. Um, but there's a moment in the brighter Frankenstein with yeah. the older man and where Boris Karloff, the tear that just mm. streams down his face is such a brilliant moment in film. Mm -hmm. And mm. Uh, if you can just build upon that and your thoughts about how he is thought of and remembered in Hollywood. I think it, the, there's, there's two trains of thought and the way Boris Karloff has viewed fans, people that, that understand horror film, horror cinema, uh, appreciate him for, for his qualities. They appreciate what, what, what he could do in a scene. Um, people that don't care so much for horror films tend to dismiss him. It, it, it's, 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 when, it's the further away you move from people that actually 
love the genre um, because it's a genre that traditionally has been, you know, undervalued. Oh, you know, they just churn them out. You know, it's and and even some of the actors in them felt that way themselves. You know, but Boris was was very different. Um, I'm really glad you you brought up the the moment in Bride of Frankenstein. Um, there's another moment as well later on uh, that I was really keen to put in, and it's the moment from his TV series Thriller, where um, he's playing the the old man who counsels um, the dead people. Uh, if you remember, he's Guillermo is talking about, it, and he's talking about how beautiful. Um, Boris's acting became as he got older and it was you know there was something that was really missed by Hollywood because here he was just giving these wonderful performances really richly characterized and but only in a tv show that you know had his name to it um, but it was still there it was still you know you could still find these gems and so I, I really did want to take those moments and and try and um, examine them as much as possible and as we were mentioning the Frankenstein scene, um, I thought it was important to break that down to show how it came to be in the film the way it is, what went on behind the scenes, and also how Boris tried to deal with the fact that he was playing a scene he really hated, but he wanted to make it convincing, and he also wanted to somehow show some humanity. And so, you know, that was th those were those were the things that really stood out for me. And I spent a lot of time going over that scene just to get the timing and everything. Right. Yes. And, 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 you know, the music as well really, really swells behind that one as well. I, I find it very emotional. First time it all came together, I, I actually started crying when I was watching it. It was like, okay, I think we're onto something. If, if it can have that effect on me and I've watched it a dozen times, then, you know, anyway, but, um, no, you're right. There are these moments in his career where he, he really just gives the most sublime acting, you know. Uh, if I may, Richard, if I yeah. may, I'd like to compare Karloff to Al Pacino. Uh, a lot of people have said when you look at Godfather and Godfather Part Two and they put them together, it's amazing the stretch on what Pacino does from the beginning of that film to the end of Part Two. And I say the same with Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Yes. When you put those two films together and you look at Karloff, the acting he does is just phenomenal. So, again, I, I really think that I think they should always be shown together because just a wonderful combination of the two films. I totally agree. And, you know, and I, and I was thinking last night about what Corman would have done with this, just grabbing pieces of that. But Bride of Frankenstein is a brilliant film that stands on its own. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cinematography and everything is just unbelievable. And oh, there yeah. are also, there's so many religious overtones in that film. I yeah. mean, at one point, the monster looks as if he's being crucified. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they show the cross on the wall when he's with the blind man. And then Franz Waxman actually has Ave Maria <laughs> That's right. during that scene. So it's great. Mm -hmm. And again, that really that really has to go as a nod to James Whale because he made he wanted to make sure those things were in there. And later on in your film, you've got the images of Elsa Lanchester and uh, Boris Karloff with the religious, almost the Catholic oh, yes. that are in the film. 
So everyone watch the film to see what I'm talking about. That that was um that sorry, that that was uh, a lady at uh, Chiller Theatre event. Um one of the stall holders, a lady by the name of Angel Nickens. Mm -hmm. Uh she did these wonderful uh candles. And and I was just walking around with the camera sort of filming bits and pieces and I saw that and I thought this is wonderful. So yeah, I I had to get those in there. Uh, Thanks for reminding me. I forgot that was in there. <laughs> uh, Kevin, um, the name of your film is Thoughts. Um, does it come from the expression that everyone's always saying, our thoughts and prayers go with you? Yes, I was originally going to call it Thoughts and Prayers, and I felt that was giving away a little too much. And then it, as I you know, developed the script, it, got, it brought on a, a double meaning, and that it also refers to the, the thoughts that the person is having who who carries out this shooting or what thoughts lead to some some tragedy like this well i don't want to go into detail because it's a sensitive subject uh dealing with uh someone that i know uh but they dealt with a similar situation uh in their life with a child that uh made threats on a school um and uh it, it, we we need to take these things very seriously i want to ask you also kevin um other films that you've done, uh, have you done the film uh, circuit, uh, film festival circuit? And if so, uh, what is the biggest obstacle that you find that you're facing today in terms of getting films shown? Wow. It's, I mean, there are a million obstacles. Uh, the, the one, I guess the biggest one is just finding your way through the weeds. There are so many films, so many festivals, so many people making films. Uh, a lot of them are terrible, <laughs> but uh, you know, the the film festival committees have to assume that yours is one of the terrible ones until they're until it's proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. So just to to get seen and to get noticed is is a big challenge. And so then, when you get that first call that you've been accepted, what's that? I mean, well, that always feels great. That's always great, and especially when it's a good festival. And the uh, Garden State Film Festival is become a great event they get a great crowd they have great venues so it's a great nice big party which i always enjoy so i'm uh, excited to be a part of this and looking forward to being there that's great uh, ron i have a question to ask you um and talk about brilliant editing in film uh early on in the film uh you show us a clip of boris karloff this is your life uh ralph edwards i remember the show believe it or not um but uh, and then you dropped the teaser about how upset he was about that evening taking place. And then we really get a, a sense later on in the film uh, as to why. Um, can you, I, I mean, this footage, first of all, uh, kudos to all of you uh, in terms of what you have in the film. I was amazed at what I was seeing and hearing in the film. Well, here's the, the great thing about it, I think, that was so interesting, is uh, Ralph Edwards and Boris Karloff were friends. And they used to go out, and in fact, many times they'd go and they'd sit, watch the show, and then go out to dinner afterwards. Mm -hmm. So he had him, I don't know, three or four times uh, come to the show. In fact, there's one famous episode where Boris is in the audience and Ralph is saying who's going to be next. And he, he passes over Boris Karloff, and I guess Karloff go, oh, good, glad it's not me, and had no clue, none whatsoever, that this was going to happen. So when mm. they, you know, so when Ralph goes there and he looks at his wife, I mean. Oh, that moment. 
<laughs> that look is is amazing. It's worth the whole film. That one moment. Like, and 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 you know when we delve into his life, Boris Karloff's true life when he was William Henry Pratt back in England. I'm sure all that rushed through his head saying, are they going to talk about that? Are they going to bring that up? And it was very, I think, very embarrassing for him, very shameful. And so he was not prepared for what was going to happen that night. Uh, so it really was, uh, was interesting. Of your show of shows with Sid Caesar. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> well, that's what it reminded me. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> For those of you who haven't seen it, Sid Caesar did, did a takeoff on it. And when they go to pull, pull him out of the audience, he doesn't get up. <laughs> they have to keep pulling him to get up. He, no, he doesn't want to get up. Funny, very funny. Calling over people. So, Thomas, Ron called me last night, and I, or night before last, and we spoke in <laughs> just a moment. And he mentioned there are three aspects of Karloff's life that we all know, uh, think, know about or think about. And that's mm -hmm. Frankenstein, arsenic, and old lace and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Those are the three, I guess, highlights of his career, but there are so many more. Mm. Um, what are some of the highlights delving into his life that stand out for you? Um, Career-wise, I would say um, The Black Cat is, is one of my favorites uh, of, of his films because he is such a completely different character in that, I mean, he's basically playing Alistair Crowley. He's he's it's it's he's a full-on Satanist, but he underplays it beautifully. And and what's wonderful about that film as well is that Bela Lugosi is the good guy for once in his career, and 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 plays it beautifully. By the way, Lugosi is so great in that film, and it's just wonderful to see this partnership starting up between them, and and knowing the background of fact that you know. Bela was originally going to do the Frankenstein film and then, you know, got backed out, got dropped. We're not quite sure which. Um, you know, the, there's a whole lot of backdrop to that, that film and, and to watch them playing off each other so beautifully. Um, it's, it's a real gem and uh, kind of a, a bit of a hidden gem. But mm. uh, we wanted to focus some attention on that. Another one that's really great is The Black Room, in which he plays twins. But then he plays three parts because yes, yes, it's not too much of a spoiler to say that one of the twins starts pretending to be the other, and um, and it's it's, it's, it's I mean, so well done, you know. And you both can answer this question, but was Dead Ringer uh, with Betty Davis? Uh, it seems to me as if a lot was taken from the Bars Karloff film that we ended up seeing in Dead Ringer a few years later. The storyline is a little bit similar, yes. Um, uh, the, the only thing with the Dead Ringer one was that Betty Davis had done a twins movie earlier. She'd done a film yeah. called A Stolen Life, which, right. was, which was a remake of a British film made before The Black Room, so around about the same time. So it's, it's hard to say, but I think, yes, you're right. Dead Ringer is somewhat inspired by The Black Room. In that, you know, one is six, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, there, there might have been maybe two dozen films made where people play twins. But mm. Karloff is just so, and, and the technology, you know, to be able to have two actors in the same mm -hmm. scene, uh, you know, it's quite new and different. But again, if actors want to be an actor, you look at the black room. <laughs> yes. That's lesson all by itself. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin, uh, question for you. Uh, thoughts 
Is the film the film that you set out to make? Yeah, I would say it's very close. Um, you know, it's always uh, when you get, get actual actors involved, there's an interpretation that they make that changes it slightly from the way you imagined it. But I would say it's it's very close. I mean, the script certainly didn't change during shooting. So they're they're uh, saying they're saying my words uh, not necessarily exactly the way I imagined them, but uh, I, I, it's pretty much what I had intended to make. And, uh, but you started shooting this shortly after the Uvalde shooting. That's right. And I, I guess we've lost count of how many shootings there have been since then. I mean, the mass shootings. Yeah, we're up to something like I, I don't forget the number. It's just insane, an insane number of shootings in the U.S. this year already. Mm. Unbelievable. Uh, Ron, I, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about uh, arsenic and old lace. Um, I've always, as much as I like Raymond Massey in the film, uh, I've always regretted the fact that Boris Karloff didn't do the film. and But years later, he did a television version. So at least there's some footage of him in that role. Right. As a matter of fact, he had a chance to do three television versions. Uh, the one that I would love to get, which apparently is lost, I believe it was shot in 1955, but it's the one that was done with uh, Orson Bean. And the reason why I want to see that one more than the others is because Peter Laurie's in it. So you have Peter Laurie and Boris Karloff also at Helen Hayes, and somehow it's lost. It, it just can't be found. But that was really, I, I think that really made a difference to Boris Karloff personally in whether he felt he, he had succeeded or not. And I, I don't know, I think we showed in the film, Tom, I don't know where, when he was, you know, after he did, or during the time he was doing Arsenic and Lace, he says, you know, I finally made it. I, I'm now an actor on Broadway, and I feel I have done a great job with my career. So, yeah, he, he, he felt very deeply about that play, and, and it was great. And, and, and the reason why he couldn't do the film is because of a contract. I mean, mm -hmm. his contract said that he had to stay in the movie and mm -hmm. other in people uh, or in the play. And yeah. other people in the play were able to do the movie, <laughs> because, but not Karloff, because they knew once Karloff left, then the play wouldn't last that long. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes. Yeah. And yet you address this in the film when he was first approached to do this, they had to convince him to do it. He just didn't feel that he had it in him to do a Broadway show. Yeah, well, he'd be. Yeah, he'd been away from the stage for about 12, 12, 13 years by that point. And yeah, he didn't have the confidence that he'd had prior to being in all those films. He felt like, I think he felt that he'd just become a, a sort of an actor, just going through the motions, doing very short scenes and not having to sustain a performance. But uh, and, and apparently, well, he lost about 40 pounds during the period that he was appearing in Arsenic and Old Lace, and you can really see it in the photographs. When, if you compare Boris Karloff in about 1940 with Boris Karloff around 42, 43, he is like a rake by 42, you know. Hmm. And um, but yes, it, it, apparently he was shaking in in the dress rehearsals. He was actually shaking through the whole process. So yeah, it was it was hard on him. Kevin, I want to go to something you said earlier. You said this is like your first film without the jokes in it. Um, why this turnaround for you? Well, I'm always, you know, looking to do something different. Uh, I, I have these, I have three feature film scripts at the moment that I'm trying to get off the ground. And 
that takes way too long. So I just decided to do something uh, short and that I could do quickly. Uh, I had uh, teamed up with an actor who had an idea about something that was a kind of a confessional. And that's what led me into this. And uh, that was a kind of a serious thing that had some humor in it. But then uh, just the idea of this school shooting as being a heavily dramatic thing. I wasn't initially starting out trying to make any kind of statement. I just wanted to do something entertaining that uh, gives me a chance to flex my filmmaker muscles. And uh, it evolved into this. And uh, hopefully it uh, not only gets people paying attention to my, me as a filmmaker, but pay attention to this topic as something that they, they could possibly do something about. Well, again, thank you for taking the time to do this. It's a very important subject. Um, Ron, uh, I've got the quote on the bottom of the screen. There's not a single movie that I've done that is not under the Shadow of This Man cast. I'd like you to talk for a moment about the shadow that Boris Karloff has cast on the film industry itself. You mentioned earlier uh, the work that he uh, did at the very beginning. He was there at the Screen Actors Guild uh, and thank God. Um, and I think it's Ron Perlman who actually thanks him on camera uh, for uh, being in the forefront uh, for the way Hollywood is pretty much run nowadays, for the most part. Um, and uh, just, I'd like you to talk about the shadow that you think he has cast over all of Hollywood. Well, I think uh, Richard, uh, I'm sorry, Christopher Plummer says it even better. I mean, Christopher Plummer said that working with this man was just a wonderful experience. He tells the story where he was late one day to the, uh, the theater and everyone was so concerned that he was going to get there on time. And I think Christopher Plummer at one point uh, didn't treat his acting profession with respect. And I think working with Karloff, he changed his mind and decided that, no, this is what I want to do with my life. I should be respectful of what I'm doing and the people that I'm doing it with. Uh, it, it's so rare I do not think, and we interviewed, I think, maybe close to 100 people. I don't think there was one person that had a negative comment about Boris Karloff. And that's amazing, especially especially in this day and age where you get some people are not even allowed to look them in the eye or, or, or talk to them in between scenes. But nobody had one bad word to say about Boris Karloff. That's because he loved his profession and he respected everything he did. I mean, we talk about a scene where he's an older man, and at one point he has to lay in the curb for water to go up his pant leg, and, and the director says, Bars, you don't have to do this. He goes, oh, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. laid there to let that, I just, just so wonderful. Um, so I think his shadow is huge, and I think so many people talk about him, uh, even younger people that watch his films, and, and that's the great thing about Halloween. You know, I don't think uh, uh, any Halloween goes by where you don't see the image of Frankenstein somewhere. Hmm. They, somebody goes and they see the Frankenstein film or they look at other Boris Karloff films. Turn to Classic Movies is great for showing many, many Boris Karloff films. So hmm. his, his, his shadow is, is big and it, 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 it's a huge web. And I think a lot of people have really uh, been affected by, uh, by not only the great acting he did, but the type of person he was as well. Yeah, can I ask, as you as you told people about this, when you talk to younger people, do they know who Boris Karloff is or have any idea of what he's done? I think the Frankenstein image they're aware of. Tom, what about mm. you in England? I mean, what 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 have you found? It's about the same. It's about the same. It's um, yeah, they younger people they recognize that image. Uh, they don't necessarily know 
who's behind the image. Right. And um, and that's another reason for making a film like this is that you want to try and get them on board, tell them the story, and right. get them interested, really, which is hard because you know there's this. It's like you said earlier with the festivals, Kevin. You know there there is so much going on. There's so much noise out there. Right. Um, and to get people to sit still for an hour and a half and watch, you know, a, a relatively slowly paced film because we're trying to tell the story and make an atmosphere. It, it's tough. Yeah. But um, and there's a whole generation of people who won't look at anything that's black and white. That's right. I, yeah. Oh, that's very interesting that you say that, Kevin, because that's one of the things I deliberately avoided using black and white for the first four or five minutes. Okay. I, I, I came in with color footage of him in black uh, Sabbath, in targets, in the Grinch, so that it was, I really wanted to give the sense of him being not old, 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 but at least in some sort of contemporary era. So, right. yeah, that was something, because there was a, a broadcaster who said, oh, no, we're not interested in documentaries about old black and white film stars. I was like, he wasn't just a black and white film. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so I did that. Yeah. Well, I've got a question that I want to address to each of you, and it's based on a moment in the film which really, as an actor, as someone in this business, uh, early on in his film uh, career, he was uh, working with Lionel Barrymore. Mm. And Lionel Barrymore, this great actor from this great family, uh, insists that he be given equal screen time with him in this scene. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was a virtual unknown. Yeah. Um, and that just jumped out at me. I'm going to start with you, Kevin, and I'm going to ask who in this business has extended that open hand to you that really gave you a big break in this business? Hmm. That's a tough question, I guess. Uh, first one that comes to mind, I guess, would be uh, Andre Brower, who uh, was a narrator of a documentary that I did that uh, it's called Riot. It's finished. It's still available. <laughs> it's about the uh, the riots that took place in Newark, New Jersey in the 60s. Uh, he's a, a great actor, an Emmy winner, and, and uh, he really put a lot of a lot more time into it than he was getting paid for and, and uh, you know, pointed out a lot of things in it that I hadn't noticed by being a white person telling the story about uh, an interracial conflict. So uh, I would give him, him that credit as being somebody who uh, helped me out and... Uh, help me take a step up in the in the industry that's great same question ron well let me explain a little bit more about this scene you're talking about so lionel barrymore had a scene where he's giving a speech and in film there there's a, a thing called over the shoulder shot and also the close-up so that's how they did it at first and lionel barrymore is saying no 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 i'm giving this speech but i'm giving it to this other actor he should be in the same scene with me so that's what he did. And and it really, it again, it's one of those things where Karloff says, okay, I see how a great actor and director can be and yet still be generous. It's almost as if, you know, you start in a film today with Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood said, no, 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 stop. I want this actor in the scene as well. That's mm -hmm. how important Lionel Barrymore was. Um, I don't know. I, I, the one person that stands out that was always so kind and generous to me was Peter Bogdanovich. I mean, I started, you know, in 1997 is when I first picked up a camera and said I wanted to do a film about Karloff. And right from the beginning, right from the beginning, I mean, if you if you talk to him and if you said the bars, the name bars Karloff, he would go, oh, yes, he was my star. <laughs> and it really it turned his life around. 
and owed so much of a debt and gratitude to, to Boris Karloff. And he was also close to Sarah Karloff as well. So a very generous man and very open to whatever we wanted to do. Mm. And Bogdanovich had such a love for film. So yeah. that was the work that he gave. Uh, same question, Thomas. Yeah, I, I would have to partly continue what Ron was saying. Um, when we, because Ron interviewed Peter years ago, and then, but we needed to reshoot it because obviously it all had to be more or less contemporary. And um, Peter wasn't well um, when, when we shot the second interview. But when he came to the place that we were filming him, he said, I would do anything for Boris. And I just thought, That's, that is beautiful. And um, so that, that was something that, that Peter said. But um, also in connection, if, if I'm going to thank anyone um, in the industry, it would be um, the historian Kevin Brownlow, who has been, Kevin Brownlow has restored uh, dozens of, of silent films. He restored Napoleon, most famously. And, um, yeah. and, and he, is, uh, he is really uh, sort of an icon in terms of film history. And he really helped with Boris Karloff so much. I mean, he's in the film, but he also provided this unique interview with Boris, which is how you get to hear Boris telling the story of the Bells and Lionel Barrymore, because that's not in any other released interview. Mm -hmm. Boris Karloff, Kevin met Boris Karloff in 1964 and recorded him for two hours, talking through all these silent films, which he never did normally. And he started off by saying, you know, I'm not going to remember anything. <laughs> by the end of it, you couldn't stop it. And uh, so we, we had these unique, this unique recording. And, and I thought, how much is Kevin going to need for this? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's precious material. And at the end, he just said, look, just use it. <laughs> really? That's great. Oh, you know, so, so Kevin Brownlow is uh, definitely, you know, my number one person. That's great. Well, everyone, Ron's last name is McCloskey. Look it up. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Thomas Hamilton, Kevin McLaughlin. Thank you all for being here today. Um, I am so thrilled with both of these films. Uh, and I wish you uh, award after award after award after award as time goes on. Um, and everybody, uh, the links will be on the YouTube channel. Uh, please check these films out. Uh, if there's any more information you need, reach out to me. And if I don't have the answers, I will reach out to these three uh, wonderful gentlemen and get the answers for you. Um, I'm going to uh, give each of you a chance to have your final word today. It could be about anything that we talked about that you want to build upon, anything we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave for everyone who's watching uh, today. Um, my final word, as I say at the end of every show, is to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Lionel Barrymore, God bless you. Uh, you changed the trajectory, I believe, uh, of his career. I really do believe that. Uh, and, uh, and learn to say yes. Be there for other people. Celebrate each other. That's what my goal is with this show, celebrating artists and their body of worth. Um, I also end every show by telling you we want to pick up the phone and call someone that you haven't spoken to in a while. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message. Ron picked up the phone and called me the other night, and that call meant a lot to me, Ron, I'll tell you that. Um, you. So take the time to reach out to uh, those people who make a difference in your life. 
I have a dear friend who says we're all in the same storm, but we're in different sized boats. Some are in yachts, some are in canoes, some are in rafts, some are pushing uh, tugboats upstream. I don't care what size boat you're on as long as you have a skipper by your side. So Thomas, I'm gonna turn it over to you. And when you finish, you'll pick the next speaker. And then the last speaker, uh, don't worry about how to end. As soon as you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Thank you all and make it a better tomorrow. I'll see you later. Thank you, Thomas, it's all yours. Okay, Richard, um, that's a beautiful sentiment about, um, about calling people. Um, I like that very much. Uh, I, I think all I would say is that um, when you're making, to any filmmakers out there, um, tell stories that you care about. Tell stories that you want to see told. That's what Kevin did. That's what Ron and I did. And um, don't let the naysayers get to you. Um, believe in yourself. Believe in those that, that are helping you as well. And uh, be supportive. Be loyal to yourself. And, um, yeah, I, just don't be put off. Um, these projects got made because we each believed in them and um and that's how we'll make our next projects and and hopefully and also these are stories that we hope will bring something positive to the world so that's all i have to say um next person oh <laughs> all right let's go with kevin okay then ron all right thank you thank you tom uh I would like to start by just saying a little bit about actors. We didn't talk at all about the, the actors in, in, in my film. Uh, people often ask, you know, what's the secret to getting great performances from actors? And I say it's a very simple secret. Get great actors. Uh, my film had a, a, a very intense nature to it, and it was not easy to do. And I was lucky to get two really phenomenal actors in Janine Bartel and Joel Myers. I want to thank them and all the other people who apply that craft and uh, a tip of the hat to them. And I'll pass it on to Ron. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I guess my thoughts are about sharing and it's similar to what uh, Richard said at the beginning, you know, by picking up a phone and talking to somebody, you're sharing stories and memories and you just want to communicate with somebody. And the same thing with Kevin, for him to have this thought, to have this idea to then make a film and share it with people and then Thomas and I did the same. I mean, to me, that was the whole point of making this movie, was to share uh, the love of Boris Karloff as an actor and just to share his work. I recently became a grandfather, and I have a grandson named Leo, and <laughs> he just fills me up with so much joy, and I want to share the whole world with him. So, again, sharing is so important for us as, as a community, as, as people for humanity to share things. And I hope that continues, that we all share with everyone. And Richard, thank you so much for sharing our story on